0: our market update um, on a- April the 13th. Um, happy spring to everybody out here in uh, in California. I hope everyone else is having a good uh, a good uh, a good day and a good weather day. So we started this uh, to- topic with the sort of after the stimulus bills, what's next And uh, you know to give you the quick answer, it really follows here. things are in pretty good shape with the economy. Uh, given what we've all gone through over the last uh, 15 months. So as we're sort of sitting here halfway through April, we know that economic growth will bounce back sharply in Q2. Obviously the quarter is only two weeks old, but all the indications, early indications like uh, various openings, mobility um, measures, so gauging how many people are actually uh, moving around and we can track that with uh, with AT, with uh, Apple uh, data, for example. Uh, people are uh, going, uh, booking more uh, restaurants. Certainly, flight numbers have ticked up. So there's generally, you know, a feeling that the uh, that the activity is is picking up in a pretty sharpish way. So we'll start to see those two Q numbers uh, really accelerate, and even Q1 growth, which we haven't uh, quite uh, seen the first estimates of. We'll see them in a couple of weeks. They're probably going to show growth in the. Region of six uh, percent of or so from an early estimate of four percent. So things are coming back. So that's the first thing from the stimulus. The consumer revival will be will be fast uh, and broad. Obviously, uh, everybody knows that there's been a certain amount of pent up demand. That's the next item that we have. Services. I throw some caution over that a little bit. You know, people can't make up for uh, you know missed. Uh, m- Restaurants and 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 eating out, you can't sort of go seven days in a in a in a week to make up for a month of not having uh, restaurant services or longer. You can't have you know twice as many haircuts and so on. But but there is obviously going to be a lot of pent up demand for travel services, hotels, airlines and so on, and they've already shown up in many of their stock prices. Um, and I think that will be uh, the big uh, the, the the big move in 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 Q2. Uh, We've mentioned this before, but I can't emphasize enough, we really have an unprecedented level of savings in the economy. I'll show you a chart later. But uh, those of you who remember the 80s, when everyone was looking at the money supply, M3, M2, M1, and M0, they were popular for a while. Um, And there's a certain amount of uh, economic uh, thought um, the monetarists are a bit out of favor these days, rightly so, but the M2 numbers are staggeringly high. Um, and uh, the that's really showing up with people's savings in checking accounts, site accounts, and various savings accounts. Now, bank money, which they can get to very easily. So uh, we're at 74 million vaccinated, as I checked yesterday. I was uh, up 14 million over the last month. So in uh, you know whatever it is, that's, uh, that's um, uh, 2 million every week or so. <laughs> uh it's 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 going uh, exceptionally well actually you no know, more than that number um and uh, even today with the news disappointing news about johnson johnson pulling some some of its vaccinations for a while i think we're still on on good shape for, uh, for the herd immunity to to kick off um that depends on what you kind of view as herd immunity but it, most people seem to think we're only a couple of months away at this point the bond market did sell off quite a bit. That was the story when we met last week. It did continue to do so, but now it's uh, stabilized a bit. Uh, the Fed is not interested in really uh, forecasts on inflation or rates or growth. They're going to be looking you know, for the whites of the eyes of the data. Uh, and so far, the data is really not there. Even with today's CPI numbers, which I'll touch on in a minute, there's probably not enough there for the Fed to get too excited about uh, changing policy. So... The Fed will wait until they start to see uh, activity really coming back on a consistent and stable basis before they do anything. Um, Brace for inflation stories. We're gonna hear a lot about it today. Uh, As expected, dead on time, the CPI year on year is up 2.5%. We all knew that was coming. It was the most uh, obvious piece of data, Uh, non-surprise, surprise. surprise. Um, But nevertheless, I've already picked up a couple of headlines from Bloomberg saying, you know, consumer prices advanced most in nine years. You're going to go, well, yes, but, you know, that's uh, that's really got some extraordinary base effects. And what do I mean by base effects? Well, if you just cast your mind back to 12 months ago, if you were a, a retailer with a lot of inventory and you just got shut down, uh, you'd want to get rid of as much of inventory as you could. So you'd just drop your prices. Uh, same with the restaurants, uh, food, anything that was uh, going to face, uh, had a finite shelf life, you are going to, to push the prices right down um so uh, that's that's really what we're dealing with that people uh, there was a kind of a deflation problem uh i wrote about this in the blog deflation problem uh, throughout the second quarter of 2020 and we're not in inflation inflationary we're just kind of going back from and having less of a deflation problem um and hopefully no deflation problem at all but it really it's this base effect which you know which is pretty important Um, But you'll hear a lot of chatter about this I wouldn't be surprised if it hits the news and everything else and everyone starts getting excited about it, but I just say stay calm. (laughs) There's really no evidence that the inflation is going to kick up to a permanently higher level, um, at least not anytime soon stocks been taking a breather well I wrote this yesterday afternoon, of course we're a record high today so. uh, You know stocks have been sort of crawling up obviously had a phenomenal. Uh, the 12 number 12 month numbers are out of out of sight right now. I mean, uh, just to give you a quick idea, the SP again, that's a base effect because we had that very worrying correction in uh in March uh, last year, bottomed out March 23rd. Um, but if you take the 12 month number on the SP, they're up 85%. Sorry, on small camp and small companies are up 85%, SP is up 50, mid-caps up 66%, you know, even value, which has been a you know a long time uh Slow mover uh, is up forty four percent. Not as much as growth that's up sixty six percent. But you can see that everything's uh, moving, and that's what I mean by the broadening out. We've got no negative sectors anymore. Um, You know, the tech is still the leading sector on a yearly basis. Utilities lagging at about eleven percent, but they're a bond proxy to most in the most part. So that's a pretty good number for utility business. Um, And so everything's you know really has broadened out, uh, and that's a good that's a good thing. We didn't want it to too uh, constrained there are some uh, areas of excess uh, I mean crypto is pretty high although we've kind of turned around on that recently and think that's actually got a quite interesting uh, uh, future um, yeah other things like the non-fungible tokens um, SPAC's business is just basically a reverse IPO that that gets uh, avoids having to go through all the listing requirements and it means that companies that normally under an IPO, you can't give forward guidance statements, you've got to talk about what you've done over the last 12 months and 15 months, you can't give forward guidance to an IPO. But you can if you're in a SPAC. So, you know, weirdly, so the, there's just a kind of uh, almost a regulatory arbitrage which is going on right now. But a SPAC is just think of SPAC as just a quick way to get an IPO, special purpose acquisition companies, what it stands for. But there's a lot of them going on. Um, probably too many for my comfort. You know, IPOs are probably going well, we've got We've had a number of them. Uh, a few, few have flunked out, but not many. And we've got Coinbase coming on Thursday, which is probably going to be a very, very big one. Um, and you know, there's been excitement up and down about electric vehicles and everything associated with electric vehicles. And uh, you know, I saw an estimate the other day which said that uh, there's there's ten electric vehicle companies that have zero revenues today. Expecting to get $10 billion of revenue within three years. Well, the record for a, a company to get to $10 billion of sales is Google, and they did it in six years. So it's difficult to say see that you know six electric vehicle companies will do it, you know, all at once. So um, especially as uh, you know, there are there are competitors here. There's uh, internal combustion engine competitors, and there's a lot of um, you know major car companies who are going to come around. So I think just the EV side, the electric vehicle side, is there's going to be a brace for some fallout. Um, you know, not everyone can deliver on the numbers which they're promising. I uh, put this Archegos down. You probably haven't heard of it. It's no real need to. Heard, I've written about it, but it's essentially a hedge fund that blew up, uh, and there was just a lot of um, uh, leverage involved in that. And so, you know, these things kind of happen at the top of the cycle. I've been writing things about. It's that time again, and you kind of get people, you know, moving from fear to greed and and feeling that hey, you know, there's a chance to make a lot of money. They, they just rediscover leverage again. You know, it happens about every five or six years. <laughs> uh, and the, these types of investments do very well. And then some of them have spectacular crashes. So, you know, these are kind of things which are going on in the background. Not enough to worry about, you know, taking the system down or, or being a, a broad-based, uh, you know, problem which the Fed has to react to, but they are around, you have to kind of keep your eye out for that. Um, yes, let me get the next one. So. Uh, we are seeing uh, cases and hospitalizations. Uh, they're kind of leveling out. This is the new confirmed cases in the U.S. You see they're bottoming out, but it's very bifurcated. You kind of got Minnesota, Minneapolis, and Illinois, bringing everyone down. But generally, these uh, you know these cases are are um, you know at, at about the forty five thousand level, um, and that's that's okay i think you know the same the vaccination is obviously it'd be nice to be lower but the vaccinations are taking place so uh, these are these are um at least uh, you know not not deteriorating to any extent on the national side you know, Deaths tend to lag cases obviously so that's been a bit um that's that red number Green number, sorry, uh, and that's been a slight uptick in there, but I mean, d- it, it's sad to see any kind of uptick in any of this stuff, but it's not material, certainly not like what we had to go through last uh last fall. Um, three million vaccines a day, so we've got 45% of the people vaccinated. Uh, you know, for the adult population, it's um, it's uh, it's pretty high as well. It's more like yeah, 45%, the total population is about 35%. So the adult population is people over age 18. So, uh, a month ago, this sorry, this was 1.2 million two months ago, 9%. So that's a big increase. So you've doubled, uh, more than doubled the rate of daily vaccinations. That's probably set to increase. Will double again in the next month, a couple more months, but it will continue to climb higher. And uh, and obviously the vaccination rate is go- is going to continue to climb up to that magic number of 75. Um, elsewhere in Europe, this is kind of where we were, um, I think I can't read my own slide here, but I think this is where we were in January. Uh, but just take a look at where the United States has gone from, uh, from the top right to where it is now. And, uh, we've come, you know, way down. So, um, let me just get rid of this so I can see it. Um, so you can see that, you know, the U S was really lagging here and now it's the, is kind of this dark blue line. It's, uh, it's obviously done it really well on the vaccination side i mean uh, so is the uk so it seems like the, the guys who are the laggards on the case rate uh have really come through on the vaccination rate i don't know if that's cause and effect or just you know getting your act together after a, a pretty hard hit but um but anyway we've got the vaccinations going now and the and the caseload seems to be improving so yeah we're there with germany germany is upticking uh for various reasons the vaccinations have been very slow to get through to germany uh, so good, you know, good population discipline, they kind of stay inside when they're told to and wear masks when they're meant to, um, and no one's it, and a lot of it's closed down, but uh, they haven't got the vaccination uh, rates uh, going yet, so there we are sitting at the same level as Germany, which is quite a quite an achievement, considering the way we were in January, where we were, uh, you know, almost seven times their rate, so this is a definitely a good story on, on the confirmed cases. Um, yeah this is I put out the five biggest states just because uh you know New York Florida here we are in Car- California Texas Arizona uh California is sort of sitting at the bottom there that's good uh it was the second highest back in uh, December um and uh, these are just the uh, r- rolling uh, cases uh, uh, new cases per 100,000 so that kind of takes out the uh, population factor but anyway this is 38% of the population 40% of GDP and these guys are, you know, definitely moving in the right direction, although, you know, there's some sideways move here and Florida inevitably has got, I say inevitably because they were asking for it, the way that they opened up too soon and then coincide with spring break, so you've kind of got the, uh, the Florida up to there, but, you know, maybe it'll, it'll level out from here. Good, so that's the kind of COVID side, and, uh, you know, I think, um, not sure if I think we're sort of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, this is this is something which is moving in the right way, and we're seeing more liberal uh, openings up, and it doesn't seem to be anything that would put that into sharp reverse. Although, uh, you know, I hope I don't come to regret those words. So this is the kind of story that we've uh, we've been mentioning. Uh, you know, rates are kind of up now. I've kind of put them where they were a year ago. So we we're at the bottom last year. This is when. Uh, the ten-year rate was 65 basis points over here, um, and obviously the Fed had come in with emergency, mes- emergency uh, um, measures uh, about a month ago when we met. You know, the ten-year was uh, 1.5, something like that. It's kind of got as high as uh, 1.8. It's sort of settled back down to about 1.62. So you know, things are moving up. We'll notice this, there's nothing moving on anything below five years, and that's mainly because. What people are worried about is sort of inflation in, in the intermediate term, not the short term, but sort of in the three to five year range. And then after that, people are less worried because they think that deflationary forces will start to come back in. But this is where, and also because the Fed has got everything tightly anchored at the short end, so uh, you know that you can see out to the three years absolutely no change in rates, and and you can still borrow a two year number, two year money, at eleven basis points. But the ten-year has uh, has come up a little bit. Nothing to be alarmed about. I think you know it's 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 more growth expectations than inflation expectations. Although there's a very vigorous debate about whether it's either or or both. I mean, I certainly admitted some of both, but I think it's more of you know more on the growth side. I think the inflation uh, story is a little bit hyped up right now. Um. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I'll skip over that one. Um, this is a kind of a revisit even though we had inflation numbers today which were quite a bit higher so they were 2.6 percent you can see way down you know six nine months ago we were reporting year-on-year inflation of one and a half percent so it has come up to 2.6 percent uh I mean the quickly the, i'll i'll explain this in a minute but uh, no will i' I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll wait a bit before I explain what's going on but this is this is important because this is essentially what the fed said last August, and they pretty much repeated this story uh, ever since, uh, and uh, even though the Fed speakers are speaking on a very regular basis, there's two more tomorrow, I think there's a couple of them yesterday, they're essentially saying this sort of thing, that, uh, you know, inflation has, unemployment has to fall to 4.1, I think what they said, uh, it's 6% now, and inflation has to get to 2%, well, they're kind of there, but, it, you know, the, the two have got to meet, and as you can see, it's only four times where they've really met in the last uh, uh, 70 years. So, uh, you know, I think for now the Fed is um, is pretty much saying, wait for the data. Uh, we're very concerned about employment, even though the unemployment number looks reasonably good. They know, I know, we know, everybody knows that the real rate of unemployment is probably twice that uh, because you've just got so much slack in the labor force. People taking themselves out of the labor market. People not looking for jobs for various reasons all that i think will start to reverse itself if people feel confident they can kind of show up and go to go go to work so the unemployment numbers understated and the fed has said that time and time again um so you've got to wait for these two numbers to meet before we really action this is what i was talking about the inflation number today so there's the headline people said that's oh, the biggest the biggest uh, uh reading from bloomberg consumer prices in US advanced by most in nearly nine years ago well, okay. Yeah, I suppose they did. Uh, you know, the month on month rate was up 0.62%. So we've been looking at more like 04 percent a month. So you have to kind of roughly multiply by 12 to get an annualized rate. And yeah, the other last time that happened was in the end of 09 when it was, uh, you know, more like um, uh, 0.8%. But, you know, this is month to month stuff. And that, as you can see, you can jump around quite a bit. Um, so, uh, that's the headline number, but let's look at really let's look at the long-term number. See what we got here. <clears throat> and my view is that this is the 2.6 number right at the top. The other two, the other three, are really core. In other words, you take out the volatile elements around food and energy. I know that you you have to drive and you have to heat and you have to eat, but uh, but the Fed has typically not made a lot of monetary policy changes based on the volatility of those types of uh, price inputs so they look at the core that's 1.65 percent. that still tells me they've got a ways to go and the two blue ones are essentially the, the inflation measure the fed looks at it's slightly different it's called the pce rather than the cpi personal consumption expenditure for those of you who like to look at these things uh and it's a slightly uh you know broader base of inflation doesn't have as much housing and everything like that uh but anyway my point is <laughs> Look, you can see here a very, very big, big deflationary force. You know, we kicked, not to give too much of a history lesson, but we kicked out inflation hard, and it was very tough in the early 80s. Um, And then since then, it's been kind of drifting down. It's been sideways for much of the last 20 years. Uh, So I can certainly see a period where this 2.6%, you know, trends up just like it did here in 06, 08. We're looking at 3, 3 3.5% inflation for a while. But uh, you know, to see it level out there and stay up there seems to me a big stretch, but um, that's what people are concerned about. Uh, we know it's gonna tick up there over the next few months, but you know, staying there consistently for a long time just seems to defy what we've been seeing for the last uh, four years. So um, yeah, we'll, we'll see, but I'm not particularly worried about the long-term inflation, although again, expect to hear a lot of chat about it over the next um, few months um Yeah, just to kind of give you an idea that I'm not sort of uh, talking one side of the book, you know, the inflation debate, the sort of, you know, inflation's going up, you know, camp item number one, they point to this. And they look, and then this is very reasonable. It says the, it, the manufacturing and service company industries, one of the questions they're asked is, you know, how are how your input prices going? So if you're a manufacturer, it's how your steel and aluminium price is going. If you're a, a service company, it's, you know, how's your deliveries and your food items going up or something like that anyway it's prices before they hit the final uh, product line and uh, this is uh, not an indication 85 inflation is just the difference between those who think it's going to go up versus those who think it's going to go down so obviously more people think prices are going to go up and that's been that's quite high again we weren't there we haven't been really in these levels until since since about the 0809 period so there's definitely some input price pressure coming uh house prices. Uh the the 2.0% is the owner's equivalent rent. This is the one that's taken out of the CPI. This is the official housing numbers. They're running at about 2% year over year inflation. But uh house prices of inflation is a very different thing. Uh, and what we've done here is smoothed them out because they're very volatile. You know, people pay more for a house in August in you know, order to get the kids into school than they are in December, because who the heck wants to move house in January and February and in the Midwest? But if you kind of smooth this out, you'll see that, you know, house prices have gone up, you know, quite a bit. Now, this is, we talked about housing in our meetings before. We know that house prices, housing activity has been pretty robust over the last year. Um, Part of that is people moving lifestyles, you know, more working from home. You need a bigger home. If you had your job, kept your job, you're in relatively good shape, Um, you know, changing home circumstances. uh, But also couple that with a very restricted supply, you know, house. Uh, the lumber manufacturers, housing contractors, and so on—you know—they also had to stop work last uh, in for three months or so last year. They came back slowly, but they—you know—but they haven't been able to catch up. So there's a supply problem, and anyone living in the Bay Area knows that you know the demand consistently outstrips supply because of the rather arcane uh, building regulations we have. But uh, but I think this is something where it, it this is a concern. I uh, think you know that this this two point zero percent is going to tick up it has to just because if you're a landlord you know you're going to track your rents based on house prices and that does and this seems to be a pretty solid uptick here which is going to continue for a while uh this is a kind of also in the home builder side so this is the you know home builders expectations they're looking to build more homes that's good but then look at the real cost of a mortgage 1.35 percent so that means the inflation running about Two, let's say for the average person, we just said 2.6, but let's just sort of split the difference between that and the core inflation. Uh, and mortgage rates of three and change. So the real cost of borrowing is, you know, it's pretty low here. I mean, it got low in 1415. It got very low uh just after the crash, because uh, no one was willing to take on uh new new uh mortgage obligations, and there was a huge glut of housing to be dealt with anyway, and with all the foreclosures and overbuilding. But um, but this, so other than that, you know, the this is a pretty decent low co- low cost uh, of of having a mortgage. So again, uh, I think that 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 will continue to provide quite a lot of demand on the housing side. This is extraordinary. Obviously, you know, you need lumber to be able to frame your house, and this is a direct result of two things. And I you know I would kind of weight it. First thing first thing is the Trump tariffs. For various reasons, the uh, uh Trump administration in its wisdom decided that they didn't want to, they were going to put a um, excise tax um on uh on lumber coming from Canada. So that was, you know, Canadians make cheaper lumber than they do in America. So that pushed up prices and increased transportation costs and so on. That was the first kick. You started to see that up here uh, in 1718. Uh then the the thing of the supply caught itself out, and then the lumber started going up a lot last year again some of the tariffs were still in place it kind of absorbed that but also the lumber mills absolutely closed down you know for three or four months so there's you know buildings going on they still need the lumber it's very difficult to shut down a building site completely uh so the spot lumber prices uh you know increased quite a bit and that's you know raw material that feed directly into housing now i don't know if it'll continue like that uh you know there's, there's of lumber around it's getting the people to uh to uh to mill it and uh and 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 get it turned around uh into the uh, supply chain so but anyway this is one reason why if you're looking to have your deck redone right now it's going to cost you a small fortune um and the final one is just the uh we just threw some the crb index it's just a commodity index just it's got uh Little bit of everything in there. it's got metals, uh, precious metals, uh, you know some nickel, aluminum, uh, lithium of course you know doing a lot of battery stuff uh, and uh, as well as some agricultural prices as well as some energy prices. So that's a pretty big gain. a lot of it's driven by energy. It's also looked driven a lot by some of the mining companies and the metals and so on which again uh, closed down saw demand drop off a cliff but a year ago and now they're kind of back online and they' they're able to sell. The highest bidder. So there's uh, there's some definite increases coming through in metals, and I don't think it'll come through in broad inflation. It might a little bit, but not you know not for a long period. Uh, uh, you know, it's definitely something we've seen this before. You see spikes in, in commodity inflation all the time because it's a, it's a very cyclical business. But uh, uh, but right now that's a pretty good number, a pretty high number, and so you know for those that are in the inflation camp, I totally get it. Um, The cost, the the case for low inflation seems to me that uh, there's a lot of labor out there, either who are, you know, just taking themselves out of the labor force temporarily, maybe some permanently, but some temporarily can't get, they can't get home care, they can't get school care. uh, So they're having to sort of just not, not go to their jobs. And, you know, obviously, in the entertainment, sorry, in the leisure sector, there's still 3 million people less working than there were a year ago. So that's people who are in <clears throat> hotels, sporting events, um, travel, um, you know accommodation, those kind of things, food services, you know there's still a lot of uh, you know jobs which are out uh, which need to be filled. It's just that people are, are not registering themselves as available for employment um so employment cost index i just look at it. it's unfortunately it comes out quarterly this which uh you know we're kind of waiting for the we haven't got the first quarter yet but 2.6 percent seems to me a perfectly fine uh, uh cost for for employers to be able to absorb so that's not showing up here right now the hourly wages is but as i mentioned before and that looks like a terrible spike but but that's really the uh, lower paid uh, people who uh, lost their jobs more than any other group uh, last year dropped out of the workforce. So, if you're earning, you know, forty, fifty dollars an hour, uh, equivalent of, um, you know, a, a year ago. Actually, I know it on the weekend on, it's about 1400 $1, dollars for office workers a week, um, and then leisure and hospitality earned four hundred dollars a week. So, if you kind of take those guys out of it, it looks like the rest of the populations had a a pay increase but they haven't it's uh, they're not earning any more than they did a year ago that um, this is just the bottom cohort dropping out so i think we have to wait for those numbers to settle down before we can read too much into them uh the other one for low inflation is that the nfib you know we come back to this national federation of independent businesses these are small companies you know 40 50 percent of the american workforce is employed at companies with less than 200 employees so we really look to them and are they saying is this a good time to expand and you know what are their compensation plans in the next three months well you know very few of them expect to start increasing uh compensation but it's pretty much the same level as it was coming out of a very deep recession back in 09 so there's no sort of compensation pressures coming from the nfib and uh in terms of saying that a good time to expand well it's better than it was a year ago where only about you know five uh, this is the diffusion index again. So only about five percent more people thought it was a good time to expand. But um, you know, when the Trump, when the heyday of NFIB gets very excited about tax increases and deregulation, and comes down, why they, they 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 bear a lot of taxes. They can't hide their taxes overseas like large companies, and they you know, have to put up with a lot of local regulation. So they were very bullish in the early Trump years, uh, and obviously that just melted away in the uh in in the 2020 covid so it's 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 back where it back a little bit but uh but it's certainly not at any kind of record levels. Uh, and we should mention this uh yesterday the monthly treasury statement came out the monthly deficit was 600 billion those of you with longish memories will remember that that was a pretty good number for an annual uh deficit uh, a, a, little, a while ago. So yeah the deficit is going up. Uh I don't know what it'll be for the year um you know, could be two or 3 trillion 15% of GDP, which is um, yeah, GDP is 21 trillion. So 10% too. So it could be could be higher than that. Um, so it's, it's projected to grow. Now, uh, again, those of you long remember, memories will know the twin deficit story from the 80s and you know, massive current account deficit, budget, massive budget deficit. We're on a train to hell and uh, you know the debt clock is ticking and it's incredibly dangerous well it isn't um you know the 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 the, uh, the, the federal deficit is being i think uh, used in a good way it is using it in a kind of a classic keynesian sense of you know for putting in demand to the economy where there is no demand um, and interest rates are at a record low therefore interest payments as a percentage of the budget are are an incredibly low rate so uh, so it's never been cheaper to uh, to, to, to take on debt. And, you know, if you're sort of looking from a business point of view, you can borrow 10 year money at 1.6% and you can get a modicum of return on that capital. Uh, you're really talking about, you know, negative rates of return. So if you, you know, build a bridge and you know, go back to the infrastructure product, and if you can't get more than 1.6% uh, internal rate of return on a bridge, then you've probably built it in the wrong place. So, um, so I, I think that this is, not something that we have to worry about right it doesn't really put any upward pressure on rates recently Yeah, jobs so jobs are beginning to move we had some scares here uh where you know after this these two numbers add up to 22 million this is a very weird logarithmic graph just because um, you know we, we were used to two or three hundred thousand new jobs a year for the last 20, 30 years and occasionally you know you've got a six hundred thousand loss in the like, 2008 uh, recession for one month. So we had 22 million last year. So that's why the scale looks so weird. But uh, but the look at the top further on the right. So we were about 380,000 in February, and then we popped up to 916,000 in, uh, in March. And that's good. Now, that rate will be back to pre-COVID employment levels in about a year. Because we still got about not eight million jobs to to fill, but uh, you know at least it's in the in the right direction. Um, and then this black number is what I was discussing earlier as the real employment rate. But anyway, uh, real unemployment rate nearly nearly ten percent, nearly twice what it, the official one is, the six percent here. So that seems to be going the right direction. And put that in the column of you know good things. If we get another good print, you know eight hundred thousand, anything over seven hundred thousand would be great for April. Then you know, we we'll know we should be in good shape for the next few months, so that's that's a good sign. Uh, Q4 it's the history books now, but it, it, it went up to four point three percent. It got revised up a lot, um, so during the quarter and then after the quarter, so that's a good sign. Current estimates for the current quarter about so sorry for the fourth quarter, first quarter of this year about six percent, for the year as a whole about six percent as well. So that would bring us a long way back, not quite back at the level again. Pre-COVID, we're still, you know, below trend by quite a bit. But if we're if we can clock in a GDP growth at six percent, that'll be one of the best in the world, and certainly among the major G7s, other than China, whose numbers are always a little bit weird, uh, it'll be it'll be probably at least twice its nearest competitor. So there's some good signs that you know GDP growth is coming back strong. That's a real testament to you know how. How the reaction to the stimulus and uh, you know the kind of flexibility of the U.S. economy. Europe would be lucky to do two this year. Consumers, gosh, they uh, they are saving like crazy. So um, you know this yellow line is the uh, savings rate, and you have heard for years that Americans are bad savers. When they redid the numbers at the end of last year, they found it wasn't quite as bad as they thought. Uh, the savings rate. If you if you and I are having this conversation in the early zeros. Well, the 90s they are talking about in, in, in savings rates about two percent they really redid the numbers a few years ago and they found out oh, it's probably more like four or five percent don't ask me how they uh um it's a long complicated question but i think these are the numbers more likely uh what the americans say that now the important thing is that obviously they didn't have anything to buy so they were saving like crazy uh at the beginning of 2020 and inflation went up uh, the savings went up to you know, thirty-five percent. So one in three dollars was essentially not being consumed, been saved. Now it's come down a little bit, and it popped up again. It's really it, the, the reason it's so jagged is because uh, it it coincides with the uh, with the passing and the stimulus bills and money getting into people's pockets. But uh, the thing to look at here is that there's an awful amount, awfully high amount, two point four trillion, well over ten percent of GDP uh in savings account. We're not talking about investment. People don't even have to liquidate that Tesla stock to get this. It's just going to the bank and uh and and switching it from your savings account to your checking account. Boom, it's there, rate of save. So these are the rate of spend. So these are very high numbers. And I think that's gonna that supports the relatively quick uh return to demand once we're open. We've had a great year. Uh, it's not often you get a one-year number on the S&P at 50%. Briefly, about a three weeks ago, the one-year number was 75%. Thankfully, it wasn't. It didn't stay that level for too long because obviously, we, the correction we had back in March last year was thankfully over fairly fairly quickly. Uh, the three-year numbers are very flattered, 10, 18%, so are five, and so is 10. The 20-year number's more what we would think would be the kind of long-term, Rates of uh, of of the stock market, you know, close to about nine percent could get higher. I mean, it has been consistently, you know, higher than that. But I think for planning purposes and everything, we, we aim a little bit lower. And you know, when I see the twenty-year number at eight point eight percent, that seems to be like a you know a relatively good number to bank on for the long term. We'll obviously get a lot more spikes. Um, so this is uh, this has been a, thankfully a return because you know we had a lot of negative stuff uh, a few years ago. On the uh, uh, the S and P, this is what happened in 2020. So it was very much led by the uh, large cap. So the the, the total the S and P 500, which you all hear about, um, is is uh, was, was up about 18% in 2020. And then the equally weighted S and P. So in the in the in the first index, uh, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Tesla only came in at the back end of it. Um, who am I missing? Facebook, um, Apple, they were like 25, 30% of the index. In this equally weighted index, because every every company is, is weighted at 0.2%. So what you're looking for is, has the average stock you know, participated in the rally? And it hadn't. If you can look at the bottom here, it's sunk lower. And it took a heck of a long time to get close. It hasn't even still got close, you know, at the end of twenty to the uh, to the to the cap weighted one. So this this market wasn't very broad. We talked a lot about this uh, last year that it was being led by a number of you know, star players, COVID beneficiaries, and so on. Um, so that's the actual kind of numbers. But things started to broaden out uh, over the last uh, since October. So now the the average. Think of this equal to return. That top line. I think it's green. I'm not sure. But that's up 28% since so like October, and the average market is up 17%. I just told you the average stock was, you know, was up 28%, whereas the other one tells you that the whole index was up 17%, and uh, you know, only a few companies were probably up that high. Um, so when you see a market broadening up, that is unequivocally a good sign. When you see the markets have led by, you know, one sector, tech, getting up 30% of the index, five guys. And all tech companies but those five guys uh you know at 30 percent the index then you got you got some legitimate cause to worry but it's broadened out now and that's been a very nice thing to see uh it's also true here in smaller companies I took the top five you know so they were up 43 percent in uh, 2020 so you couldn't really put a foot wrong there um I think this was up to September actually uh, and then uh the uh the, the mega cap the top 100 were up eight percent but the important thing here was the lagging guys the uh the the, uh, the small cap january to september was down 17 percent. so you know this was very much a top five led market well again it's uh it's changed a little bit and here we are actually sorry about it, it's not over three months it's since october but you can see that the small caps have raced ahead up forty three percent, mid caps up thirty three percent, and then down at the bottom, leaking out a nine percent return, which is a pretty good number. But uh, but when you're looking at um, you know small caps up forty three percent, obviously that leadership has exchanged again, unequivocally a good thing. Uh, you don't want to see a market so focused and so concentrated that you know there's only a few players telling all of the story. So you, broadening out is a good thing. Yeah, the valuations. Uh, there is no way to say that this market is cheap. Um, uh, you know, any traditional valuations, would be price earnings, or price to cash flow, price to book, price to sales. Uh, I mean, there's dozens of these valuation metrics. You can take them any which way you want. You can exclude stuff, exclude stuff, adjust seasonally adjusted, you know, time weighted adjusted, plug a gold and silver number into it, whatever you want. But I mean, there's thousands of them. But but basically, you're not, you're not going to find many indications that the market's snortingly cheap. The only one I kind of would, would put some emphasis on is that the earnings yield, which is the reciprocal of the fees, it really tells you what's the, what's the, P, what's the um, S&P earning as if it was like a bond. And surely the, the answer is about 4.4%, which is not as high as it was a year ago, uh, but in real adjusted terms, it's not too bad. So uh, this the lower the number, the more expensive it is. So market was ridiculously cheap a year ago, and uh, ridiculously cheap uh, at the end of 2012 um in fact i think we said so at the time but uh but it has been more expensive over here but this is definitely you know a a challenge but hey we're not down here in in 2099 levels so you know it's it's okay not great it's not okay it's okay and i just uh, say you know look at the long-term perspective this is the s p and there are periods where the thing goes sideways i mean you know between 97 uh, I mean, we all had a good time in late 90s, but essentially this market was flat for you know 13 years. Uh, if you'd bought in in 98, it took you till 2013 to make your money back. Now you could have bought along the way and made some good money. But essentially, if you just bought an S&P 500 index fund, excluding dividends, it worked about 2% a year, so not trivial. Essentially the price, the NED of the S&P 500 uh, SPY index didn't change. Uh, so these are, it's only now we've kind of seen, you know, a healthy breakout. This happened in the 70s for sure. So, uh, I mean, I take some comfort in this because uh, it kind of comes back to this 20 year number, at, you know, 8, 9%. That's not, you know, too devastatingly high that you're worried that the, the market's got to fall out of bed, doesn't it? You know, we had a long period here where essentially we didn't make a lot of money in the, in the index, other than if you were dollar cost averaging. Um, so anyway, that that I think you know gives me some pause for thought and good thought that you know the the market taking a breather, obviously another record high today. I don't think we're looking at a big correction, yet alone a crash. I mean, there's nothing to stop the market going down five, 10% because the inflation number comes out bad, you know, power gets hit by a bus, god forbid, or something like that. Uh, or one of the tech companies gets regulated or or comes up with some scandal all these types of things are natural risks that the market might have uh, and we're never immune to those types of things but um, in, in terms of the stock market being relatively well underpinned especially given the revival in the economy and you know coming back to very robust growth both in broad numbers and population i think we're in i think we're in good shape so we're on track for herd immunity uh huge pent-up demand i think we've covered that uh it is going to be big um just think of your own circumstances about things that you're gonna do postpone doing uh i mean i'm hopefully getting on a, on a plane in may uh no glamorous just back, back, not back to texas texas um but i've been on plane since uh, january of 2020 so i'm sure there's a lot of people you know like that and that'll 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 help the services side a lot um the next few months you're going to see a lot of uh, inflation talk, um and that's just again the base effect plus you think about a restaurant that's opening up at half capacity it's probably going to have to raise its prices because it needs the same staff whether it's you know, serving 50 50 people or 100 people uh and if they're restrained from having a full opening either the regulations say they can't or people just want to be further apart uh then they to feel more comfortable to get them in so some you know some plenty of businesses i could think of you know having increases in prices airlines for sure they've still got i don't know thousands of planes white-tailed out in arizona which have just been taken out of commission and not being used and so i'm sure they'll be on some popular routes they're going to you know price, especially as energy prices are 20 percent higher now than they were a year ago we might see some labor market, may see some wage pre- pre- pressures, but I think participation is going to increase. It takes a while to get people back into the labor market. They've got to feel settled, got to feel confident, got to feel there's you know, something that's available and the, you know, the pay has to offset the costs of uh, providing any kind of home or childcare, which a lot, a lot of the population does. Especially the, for women, were, the labor participation for women is falling off a cliff. Uh, and if, to get that back, you're going to have, you know I think, to see, uh people feeling more confident they don't have those expenses uh but i think the participation will gradually increase now as far as the fed's concerned we've said what they're going to say then then they're going to just stay rigid on the we want to see the data we want to see uh you know employment up I've talked about employment a lot and not just looking at the unemployment numbers they've talked about employment you know for groups of people who are typically have you know two or three times the average unemployment rates so Minorities, women, uh, you know, city groups, and so on. So they're taking a pretty bold mandate because they made a mistake you know, after 2008. They tightened too quickly because they looked at the employment numbers and said, "Oh, you know, we're just that old standard uh, in- inflation-employment Phillips curve trade-off." Uh, you know, so if unemployment unemployment is about four percent, 43 three percent, it's going to be inflation, but well, It never happened, and you know, a lot of that relationship broke down. And the Fed tightened, you know, too early, and you had the you had the uh, uh, taper tantrum, and then Janet Yellen, put rates up at the, tw- at the end of 2014, and then waited 15 months sure to the next one, there was never any inflation pressure coming from the low employment numbers, so I think they're going to wait until they really see that employment number pick up in a broader sense than just looking at the headline inflation. And remember, they're not going to raise rates first, they're going to taper first, they're, they're, they're buying 120 billion dollars of securities every month, eight forty billion dollars in mortgage backed securities. So that's that's you know that's a lot. That's a lot of billions. Um and you know certainly helps to fund uh, some of the deficit for sure. But you know, the 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 taper, there's actually no talk about tapering yet. They might sort of towards the end of that this year if things are really going well, but uh they'll do that first. And if they telegraph it properly to the market, there shouldn't be any concerns on that. And if they don't expect it in late to late twenty twenty one. Uh, I'm going to stop sharing at this point because I come up to some questions. Uh, thank you very much for staying with me here. I know we've covered a lot of ground, but um, there's, uh, there's been a lot to talk about. I would just mention uh, the infrastructure bill. Uh, I don't think it's going to get through at the $2 trillion level. And obviously, there's a lot of uh, noise about the corporate tax cut. But I think what Biden's doing is very clever because... Um, You know, he's he's invoking the sort of uh, OECD to be able to create a level rate of corporation tax wherever anyone's domiciled. So that'll that'll make it a lot harder for the tech companies to uh, book their profits through Ireland or the Netherlands and Singapore and various islands down in the Caribbean. So if that gets through, there'll be an automatic, uh, you know, increase in revenue from corporation tax. Uh, as far as moving from 21% to 27%, I think the number is 28. Remember, it's 35 with, uh, uh, before Trump moved that number down. I mean, we weren't exactly hurting at that point. Uh, so you know the, the, I think that the, the business sector can take uh, you know a, a smaller um, increase in corporation tax. They're not going to go back to 35%. And the numbers that might come out, it's probably like 25%. I think you'll barely see it. You see some revenue increases. You won't see much in way of the uh, companies uh, having to pare back or anything. And in terms of getting infrastructure built, I mean, everyone knows the last 30 years we've been living on borrowed time with the infrastructure projects. I mean, everything's crumbling. If you live in something somewhere like the Bay Area, you know how much wasted time there is, and productivity just slumps when you go to sit in a car for two hours a day. So you know, if that kind of stuff, um, I'm not saying we'll get an answer straight away in the Bay Area, but uh, look at the country as a whole and infrastructure spend has enormous return on capital uh, and so that could be quite good we've just got to look at it in the kind of medium to long term it doesn't happen overnight but I think it's a net positive for sure Carolyn I don't know if you're on the line I've been joined here by uh, Carolyn O'Neill who's making sure everything's working behind the scenes um, sometimes we have some questions oh hang on there are two
1: questions waiting for you Christian yeah there we go can you see them or would you yep,
0: like Yeah, I can. Great. Uh, you seem less concerned about inflation and higher long rates than many. How do international yields factor into that? I'll take the first one first. I don't think I'm unusual here. I just think that, you know, if I could, Bloomberg's pretty cool most of the time. This is a stupid headline, you know, just to say, you know, most advanced in nine years. Like they could have written that a week ago. Uh, everyone knew it was going to happen. So I don't think, I, I think that we'll, I don't think a lot of investors are particularly worried about it. I might, I might be wrong on this, but I think the press is just having a field day on it. So I think I'm, I'm not sure if I, I I'm less concerned than than a lot of people. But um, and, uh, like, and and I'm not worried about you know long rates going going higher uh, because. Um, the Fed is sitting there saying they're going to keep low rates um, pretty, you know, pretty well anchored. So there's a limit to how far the ten-year can spring up. You know, if you've got zero percent on the Fed funds and eleven basis points on the three-month. And how and international yields uh, factor in a lot. That's a really good question because you know, German bonds are negative to, to eleven basis points, something like that. You know, for ten-year number, uh, Japanese bonds. These are really the only guys that compete against the u.s for international flows they're at about 70 basis points so less than half what what the u.s has and as long as those rates are low and they'll stay low I mean, the ecb and the bank of japan are buying like crazy and that's their policy then i think it's very difficult for the u.s rates to explode much higher put smoke a lot of pressure on the dollar so i yeah i'm maybe a little bit more sanguine about long-term inflation so no problem the next few months we're going to get Two and a half three percent prints and people are going to get freaked out but uh, but i don't think we're going to see those numbers um you know in there for the long term any projections on impact of chip shortages to the market yeah that's a problem um and i think that um it's a supply chain problem more than anything else hello uh,
1: hi christian welcome back yeah sorry <laughs> about that sometimes it happens Everybody's uh, pretty much hung on here, so... Um, okay,
0: I'm, I really apologize. Uh, yeah, no, my phone went, uh, my laptop went from 20% battery to zero in a, in two seconds. So uh, I thought, I I can't see the screen on that right now, so I can't read the questions. But um, could you read that second question, if you still have it?
1: Yes. Yeah. Uh, he asked, any projections on the impact of chip shortages to markets? And that's what you were answering. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, so that's a big deal, yes. Um, God, uh, th- th- there's definitely supply problems. Um, I think, the, you know, Taiwan semiconductors, the big, the big uh, supplier in this, and I think there's been huge demand from Bitcoin miners. <laughs> so, you know, Bitcoin, as you know, is a tremendously energy-intensive activity, and there's been a lot of farms and servers which have been pressing on on the demand, uh, uh, demand for semiconductors. But of course, the other one. Is electric vehicles. I mean, everyone's jumping into electric vehicles, not just the Teslas and the Neos, but but also the main, mainline uh, car companies. So I think that's uh, that's got to work its way out, um, and I think that will be a you know that's a classic supply chain problem. Um, it's going to take some time to resolve. I mean, the U.S. has talked about bringing some fabrication back to the U.S. Intel's talked about that. I think they probably will, uh, given that the the last year has just shown how fragile some parts of the of the of the global um, supply chain business there is no one wants you know everything to come from tcmc given all the problems over there so i think we're going to see some uh you know some continued problems on that side
1: that was it for the questions you answered the other okay
0: one. well thanks very much thanks for holding on sorry about losing you there uh but i'll remember that i'm not too and take my battery read too literally and uh, I'm going to hand it back to Carolyn for uh, uh, for uh, reading of the disclosure and if you have any uh, questions feel free to email us at, uh, at you can find us on our website Steve Waits one at, brand, at bnjadvisors.com thanks very much
1: thanks Christian here we go with the disclaimer okay this presentation is for general informational purposes only references to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The securities mentioned in this commentary are only several of the successful as well as unsuccessful investments by us and do not represent all of the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended. Although we deem reliable the sources of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data. Past performance is no indication of future results. Thank you.